please, without further ado, join me in getting a rousing round of applause for the CEO of Frasier Net Inc. Please welcome to the show, Mr. George Frazier. How are you, Mr. Frazier? I'm doing wonderful, Clark. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to educate all of us and to continue down this road. And, uh, you know, you, you really are sort of like a community drum. Uh, I hear that big crowd back there. You're like a community drum, and uh, we love you for that. We love your commitment uh, to our community and to bringing uh, incredible information uh, so that people can think it through, digest it, uh, and then execute on the ideas that you so generously collect from the best and brightest people in the country. Thank you. Well, the honor is certainly mine, so thank you so much for that. But i, I got to tell you, this is probably out of 400-plus interviews I've done, one of my absolute favorites, one I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Before I begin, I've got to give thanks to Mr. Trevor Ott and, in fact, the entire uh, Marathon of Excellence team uh, for their uh, for his contribution in getting this done for me. Uh, and thank you so much for that, Mr. Ott. Uh, and also shouts out to the basement uh, underground secret uh, sales and marketing team out there. We'll get back to you guys in just a minute. My first question, Mr. Frazier, I've got to ask you. I've always wanted to ask someone of your magnitude, your stature, this. Do you even remember, is it hard to remember um, the beginning of your journey now that you're, you've paved the way for so many and you've spoken to so many crowds over the over this duration? Is it hard to remember the beginning for you? You know, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that question. <clears throat> yeah, it is sort of hard. It's, it's clouded now because, um, you know, I deeply believe it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so there are things that come into your life that you just simply bless and release. You bury them and, and or you use them as a stepping stone to the next thing and then that becomes a stepping stone for the next thing and the further away you get from the original thing the more cloudy it becomes but you know uh you know you know it is not to say that i have forgotten the tough patches of life no uh, not at all i mean i i you know how do you forget the fact that uh, you're one of 11 children uh, your mother becomes mentally ill um uh, when i was three years old she became mentally ill she was institutionalized and so i was orphaned uh, with uh, with all of my siblings because my father couldn't take care of 11 children driving a cab at night and working 12 to 14 hours a day and so i was orphaned from three to five and then from at uh, five years old uh, we were broken up into three because nobody would take uh, 11 children, and I spent the balance of my young life living on the mean streets of Brooklyn, New York, in foster homes, and I grew up my, with my older sister, Emma, and my younger brother, Joseph. So, no, you can't forget that, um, but again, that's how I started. It's not how I finished. I mean, I had a... Um, I had a high school guidance counselor, I'll never forget, Mr. Dietz was his name, and he suggested, because I didn't seem like a fairly serious student, he suggested I drop out of high school and go to work, and of course, uh, I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to drop out of high school, I knew it was important to get a high school diploma, so I, I squeaked through, and, and you know, nobody thought I was college material, so I didn't get any college scholarships, and I wasn't encouraged to go to college, <clears throat> but you know, I, I didn't believe what they said, I believed what I felt, and so I, I mopped floors on the midnight shift, uh, shift at LaGuardia Airport in New York City and worked my way through college 
began down my path, um, everything from uh, working in the basement of the Halley Brothers Department Store in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, wrapping Christmas gifts to uh, getting a job in the basement of the Cleveland Clinic uh, Hospital, which is a world-famous hospital, but I was washing laundry. Uh, no, you don't forget those things, but they all contributed to who I am today. Would I change any one of those things? No, I, would not I wouldn't change anything, including uh, being in an orphanage and including being a foster child and including growing up on the main streets of New York, including starting in the basement wrapping Christmas gifts at the Halley Brothers Department Store in downtown Cleveland and washing bloody and dirty laundry at the Cleveland Clinic. I wouldn't change one of those things because each one of those things um, prepared me for who I am today and it helped me to understand what I didn't want to do in life. How did I know? Because I was doing it, and I got bored with it. I didn't like it, but it was a it was a means to an end. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I believe in the whole the old fashioned notion of failing fast. Fail fast. There are many things that you're going to have to try. There are many things that you're going to have to do in life. Some of those things will appear to be unpleasant, uh, undesirable. Um, try them. Stick your toe in the water. Try them. Uh, God will tell you when it's time to leave. You'll know when it's time to leave when you're bored. And uh, you want to do when you're bored because God is constantly talking to us. God, He's telling us exactly what to do. Except most people right. choose not to listen, right? Uh, because what He's telling us to do is to change. And the hardest thing in the world for people to do is change. It's just easy, easier sitting on a couch drinking a beer, watching television, right? So most people won't invest in themselves and won't make the change that they need in their life to take their life, to take their career, to take their business to the next level. It requires change and it's constant change and it's constant never-ending improvement and it's constant personal growth and development. So it means it's you're constantly educating yourself, you're constantly learning. How do you learn? The best way to learn is to experience different things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You'll decide quickly whether you want to continue to do those things, if those things turn you on, push your buttons, uh, and then if it pushes your button, then you take it to the next level, you learn more about it, you develop expertise in it, right? You become not good, but amazing at it, right? When you become amazing at something because you've invested in the knowledge necessary, you've put in, as Malcolm Gladwell wrote in his book, The Outliers, you've put in the 10,000 hours of work to take you from good to amazing, and now you don't have to worry. So you see, when you are amazing, you don't have to worry about competition. Competition has to worry about you. When you are amazing at what you do, all right, you don't have to get in anybody's line. People will get in line for you. The problem is not enough of us, especially uh, in the African-American community, not enough of us understand what it takes in the discipline and the commitment to personal growth and development, lifelong learning, constant never-ending improvement, investing in ourselves. We spend more we spend more on entertainment than we do on education. The E-to-E -E ratio, that's what it's called, the E-to-E -E ratio, education to entertainment in the white community is about 40 to 1 so for every $40 that uh, is spent uh, on um, uh, entertainment in the white community about a dollar is spent on education 
uh, in the black community, it's 400 to one. For every $400 we spend, we spend $1 on education, Mm -hmm. right? And so how do you learn? How do you grow? How do you become extraordinary at what you do And, and, and so that you can bury the competition? You see, when you're average or when you're mediocre, that's when you have to worry because most of America is average. That means that if you're average, that's where all the competition is. So that means you're competing with most people in America. Right? And so, by the way, also, if you're average and I only want to pay you $8 an hour to do some task that I want you to do and you don't want to work for that $8 an hour, then leave because there's a line from 100 feet long. Right of people who will work for eight dollars an hour because they're only average. That's all they can get is eight bucks an hour. So what does that mean if you're average? It means that you're uh, I own you for eight dollars an hour because you're just average, right? And there are thousands of people who are just average. So I don't have to use you. I can use any number of people that who are only average who are only capable of doing this eight dollar an hour task. So I'm not interested, especially in black people being average. I'm not even interested in black people being good. I'm in just if we're going to compete in the 21st century because the world is changing, Clark, the world is changing, and anybody with an apartment or a garage can do what you do. That means that we have to ramp up our game. And white folks have given black people everything that they're going to get. We have freedom, civil rights, voting rights, and public access. You ain't getting their money. You're going to have to kill them first. And you ain't going to kill white folks. That means you're going to have to compete with them. And if you want to compete with white folks and Asians, you better bring your damn lunch, right? Because they already have a 350-year head start on your ass, right? So that means that you're going to have to ramp up your game. You're going to have to invest in yourself. You're going to have to decrease the E to E ratio. You're going to have to spend two to five percent of your gross income every single year on personal growth and development workshops, webinars, seminars, CDs, and books, and improve yourself. Constant, never-ending improvement. And if you don't do it, you're going to be average. You're going to be mediocre, and ultimately, you're going to be relegated to second-class citizenry in this country. So you better, you, you know, we better man up. We better woman up. We better circle the wagons. We got to have all hands on deck and we've got to move our people in general not now there are brothers and sisters who are incredible right we know who they are we read about them all the time right but that's 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 the exception that's not the rule it needs to become the rule and so that's my story i'm sticking to it i'm glad you asked the question um no i did not i have not forgotten from whence i have come i know that i come from modest and humble beginnings i know i've come from poor beginnings but my story is no different than any brother or sister listening to this conversation this evening right it is no different if i can do it um coming i have a high school diploma in woodworking because nobody thought I was college material, right? I came from the streets of Brooklyn, New York, the main streets of Brooklyn, New York. If I can do it, anybody listening on this phone tonight can do it if they put their mind to it, if they put their shoulders to the grindstone, if they understand that this is about work. Life is about work, right? God put us here to do his work, right? And he has assigned each of us a job to do. We each have a unique purpose in life. There's a reason that God has sent you here. There's a job that he's assigned only you to do, Clark. And if you do not do it, it will not get done in the universe. And it's your damn job. And you have to figure out why did God put you here, right? And it's not easy. The work is not easy because if it was easy, why would God need you? He would just do it. 
right? So he's assigned you to do it. He's assigned you to work, right? He's assigned you to, to make the commitment, to put in the elbow grease, to, and, and, and to do the work that's necessary to get the fulfillment in life that he has, he has assigned you to uh, do. The long answer to your question, but that's the end. I love it. I love it, Dr. Frazier. It's not a problem. I, I do have a follow-up with that, um, just a, a small follow-up, because it's important to me. It appears to me that the African-American community has lost ground since the the gains of the 60s. And, and from your perspective, i like to A, ask, is, do you feel that is a true statement? And if it is, how and why has that happened? Oh, wow, what a loaded question, <laughs> and an awesome <laughs> question, an awesome question. Have we lost ground? Are you kidding me? If Dr. King were to come back here today, he would be ecstatic that Barack Hussein Obama is president. He actually predicted that, but he would be ashamed of us. He would be very angry about everything else that is going on in our community. I'm 68 years old today. Today is my birthday, and uh, we have spiraled downward. It is the worst that I have seen it in my 68 years on this earth. And I'm a child of the, I was born in 1945, so I'm a child, I was born two years before Jackie Robinson entered into Major League Baseball. I saw Jackie Robinson in Brooklyn, New York. I was in Brooklyn, New York when Jackie Robinson, I was born, I went to my father, took me to those games at Ebbets Field. I was there when the Brooklyn Dodgers won the world championship with Junior Gilliam and Roy Campanella and Jackie Robinson. So, um, so, so Dr. King would 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 bury his head in his hands if he understood the statistics that exist for us in 2013. 17, 72%, I should say, 72% of our children are born out of wedlock. 31% of our women get married. We have more black men in prison on probation and parole than were enslaved in 1850. For the 26th year in a row, black Males and females are at the bottom of the SAT scores. And for the fifth year in a row, Asians were at the top. They have replaced white males and white females, right? The income and wealth gap between black folk and white folk in America is the widest it's been on a relative basis in the past 40 years, right? We have fewer and in fact, if you look at home ownership, we have we own the fewest number of homes per capita of any cultural group in this country, and we came over here on the Mayflower. We own the fewest number of businesses per capita, and again, we came over here on the May on the Mayflower. We are an economically illiterate people. We are a nine hundred and twenty billion dollar annual economy if we were a nation we would be the 16th richest nation in the entire world but our money goes in one direction away from us and with some of america's most conspicuous consumers 
Everybody and anybody can build a business in our community. We are 100% of their customer base, right? They then take our money, go back to their community, build great schools, have beautiful homes, and educate their children because you know they don't want to live with you. They don't live with you. They employ their own people. And all we do is bitch and moan and complain about it, but we won't do anything about it, right? We talk about this all the time. Let me say that differently. White folks have $100. Black people have $100. We give $99.50 of our money to white people. We only recycle less than 5% of our money in our own community. So white folks have $100. Uh, black folks have $100. Of our $100, we give $99.50 to white people, right? So white people end up with $100 $99.50 and black people end up with 50 cents. No wonder they have better communities. No wonder they have better schools. No wonder they don't want to live with us. Let's say that differently. Let's say that more, um, let's say that more violently. And that is, you cannot give white people 99% of all your resources and blame them for 100% of your problems. <laughs> 